Hi, welcome to the Xbox World Podcast. Sorry, it's a slightly delayed podcast. We uh, we had every intention of uh, of doing one last week, but uh, then we realised I was on holiday, uh, so we didn't get round to it. Um, uh, apologies, but we hope you enjoy this one. This one's going to be uh, no doubt going to be a corker. It's got all your usual favourites where we uh, talk about games and and probably a few other entertainment mediums. And we also have some sweets. Mike's uh, Mike's brought in some more sweets. So. And savouries. Oh, and savouries as well. We really are being spoilt. Uh, so Mike and Matt are here. Hello. Right. And uh, uh, Mike's wearing sunglasses indoors. Um, I don't know whether it's a new fashion statement or uh, it's really... It's, I don't think it's bright in here, but I'm not it's sure. It's kind of like Cyclops in X-Men. Yeah, I cycled in this morning as I usually do, but I left my uh, specs at home. I wore sunglasses on the way in. Left my specs at home. And... Um, I had to put contact lenses in, but I don't let my face go unadorned, so um, I've got my sunglasses on. Yeah, it's really, they're, really they're good. They're cycling sunglasses, whether or not uh, they're not my nice Ray Bans, which I like to wear. These are my cycling ones, which look awful. So, sorry about that. Would any facial accessory do, or does it have to be glasses? Like, because we've got spare wrestling masks and stuff in our boxer stuff. Like a lucha libre kind <laughs> yeah. of thing. Yeah, Rey Mysterio style. No, I, need, I need some specs on my face. Oh, okay. So uh, the first place to start probably is the uh, latest issue, which is in shops now. Uh, Fear 3 on the front. Uh, very excited about uh, seeing that. We love Fear 2. Um, Matt's feature is interesting, Matt. You can probably pick this up a little bit without giving too much away. And um, I think it's fair to say Fear 3 was perhaps not quite what we were expecting. Or maybe we were expecting it um, in terms of the change of developer and uh, the sort of direction it's headed in. Um, yeah, so the big news really is that Monolith isn't making Fear 3. Um, it's Day One who made the the Xbox 360 version in the first game. They ported the game from PC over to 360. And they didn't do too bad a job, I'll, I'll be the first to admit. Um, but I think they they d- when we went over and we saw the game and we chatted to the guys, they didn't really seem to think it was too big a deal that the development has been handed over to this new team. And I didn't quite agree with that. You know, a lot of people who like Fear also like Condemn. They like what Monolith do. And to have a game which is, you know, a Monolith product made by a different team, I think some people are going to be a bit wary of it. And uh, perhaps rightfully so in some areas. But what they sh- what they showed us was, was fairly impressive. Um, I, w- I won't go into too many details, but uh, they've got elements like um, randomised scare moments which is kind of cool if you're playing the game you never quite know when when the mm. scares are going to come um again what i would say is maybe that will water down the scare somewhat somewhat i mean if you think about how tough it is to make a game scary <coughs> as it is when you've got it when the developers have got it all planned out how they're going to scare you if you then remove that element of planning and make it a randomized mm. scare yeah i don't know how effective that would be um if, if if they can do something like valve has done with left for dead's AI director, then, you know, I, I'm, I'm confident Fear 3 will be the bomb. <laughs> um, oh, <no>. But, uh, <laughs> sorry, Mike. Um, but, yeah, it's it's still uh, some ways off. Uh, we're not expecting to see it until, I can't remember when they said now, either end of the year or beginning of mm. next. Um, so there, there's there's a lot of work to do, but it's, it's encouraging so far without blowing us away, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so apart from that, we've got um, uh, plenty else. Halo 3, uh, Fallout New Vegas. Halo Reach, you mean? Ha- Halo Reach, sorry. Halo Reach, of course. Of course, Halo Reach. Mafia 2, Fable 3. Ma- Mafia 2 is an interesting one. I mean, Rob did our preview. He went over and played the game, I think, at Take Two's office or mm. a, a, an event somewhere in London. Um, I managed to play it as well at GDC. I was really impressed with it. In fact, a lot of people have been saying um, like they weren't overly excited by the shooting parts by by the action element and I, i've got to admit i didn't really have any problem with it i must be one of the few people who did and i loved it all the way through do you think a lot of people would disappoint with the fact that it's, it's not really that much of a sandbox anymore see to or me maybe that's it was never maybe it's never going to be i, I don't d- know I, d- I mean it was never pitched as as a straight up sandbox when i saw it at gamescom last year and i wrote the preview based on what we saw you know, I went to great lengths to explain that it's not a sandbox game. It's okay. It's kind of an open world, but it's got these very controlled linear elements to it, to the story. 
And to me, that's more appealing than just a straight sandbox. And I've played straight sandboxes. I want a little bit more control in my game. Yeah, sandbox. Like, so 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 over sandbox at this point. Like it, GTA Four is brilliant. You know, I'm not I'm not saying that it isn't, but. And then there's something just a bit clumsy about having a shootout and then this erratic police car drives through a crowd of pedestrians because it's not quite right and it just like clips on a lamppost or something. It's and then the example as well that Remedy often give. I mean, they give it all the time because they know how funny it is to say it, but it's like when they were making Alan Wake as a sandbox game and uh, so when, when Alan Wake turns up to meet his wife in a monster truck, you know you're doing something <laughs> wrong. You know you know something wrong. Well, that's and, precisely right, yeah. Yeah, and that's... that's that's the thing with sandbox games. Like those moments of absurdity really made earlier GTAs, mm. but now GTA's gone a little bit serious. Those moments of absurdity really, really stand out, and um, they would in Mafia too. I mean, hugely because that game is taking itself real seriously. Oh yeah, it, it totally does, and uh, I think it's really effective as well uh, at being a serious game, even though it's got things like the Playboy centerfolds that Take Two is very keen on us seeing. Mm. It's a bit awkward, I must admit, when there was this look at woman. This, look at these well, yeah, yeah, I was sitting there, and this woman was like, pick that up, pick that up. So I'm like, oh, okay. She's like, press X, press X. So I press it, and this naked woman appears on the screen. I'm like, uh, I go like a shade of pink and press B to close it quickly. Oh, you, you've on. clearly never been caught as many times as I have with a naked woman on your screen. Yeah. <laughs> I can't say yeah, I have. I one. think the other problem is, is that Palace never seen a naked woman before in his oh, life. So, uh, there so, is that. so that's, the, that's the major problem there. So yeah, it was uh, playing Mafia 2, it was a big learning experience for me. I had, a, I had a long, hard think in the shower afterwards. <laughs> I'm sure you did. <laughs> I'm sure you did. Um, but no, I, I really enjoyed it. And uh, I've got to admit, when it comes out on the 28th of, of, um, of August, I'm looking forward to going, you know, get, getting it, taking it home and... <laughs> having a long, hard think <laughs> about it. Having a long, hard think. So yeah, latest issues on sale now. Uh, if you haven't gone out and bought it already, then you, then you should. Um, otherwise, uh, we'll hunt you down. So um, we hope you enjoy it. Do let us uh, know what you think of the issues. We like to hear, we like to get feedback and uh, we like to hear, you know, things you like, things perhaps you don't like so much and because uh, it's just useful to uh, to hear what people make of issues. Also, let us know what you think is better. The pun under the um, oh, <laughs> Fallout New Vegas picture on the cover or the pun on the spine. See, in recent <laughs> months, Matt seems to have, Considered to decided that he's some kind of pun savant. Mm. Like he seems to think because Tim had usually handles the puns on Xbox World. The man's an old hand, uh, and w- I'll say this much: when Tim dishes out a pun, it's usually fantastic. <laughs> but when Matt does a pun, it's a bit hit and miss. A- abstract. Many, yeah. many of them you would say are pr- almost like like an abstraction of of what makes a pun a pun. You know, is the, the argument I had with with Palette the other week is that. Pellet will come up with one good pun. Perhaps, maybe that's overestimating it. One good pun a month, I was going to say, but it'll come up with a you know one one every so often, and it will it will be pretty good. Mm. You know, it'll be of the Woody Allen variety for um, for Alan Wake. Wake in the woods, yeah. But then he he proceeds to dine out on it for like two or three months. Like, yeah, but I did come up with Woody Allen yeah. after a succession of shat puns. Cutty Starks. That's right. Yeah. I'm defending Cutty Stark. What was Cutty Stark in reference to again? It's uh, it's it is actually quite good, but it's very, very, very. It was a box niche. out on a book called The Dark Half, and yeah. The Dark Half has a character in it called George Stark yeah. who goes around cutting people up with a knife. And this was for an Alan Wake box. Yeah, out. yeah. No one in the world is going to get the reference. No, no one. The five people in the world who get the reference will know how how good it is. I'm writing for those five. Well, in people. that case, won't they find it on the spine of the thing, or was it on the? What has we got on the spine at the moment? Oh, the, on the on the spine, it's Doctor Mangelove. Yeah, Doctor Mangelove, <laughs> for a a mangy looking dude from from Fallout, <laughs> Fallout New, New Vegas. <laughs> you know it's funny. The guys. thing is, when he says it, like uh, what I find most funny is the way he thinks it's hilarious. He gives it a little, so little, he, pa- little pause for effect. That's right. And when, and when he starts laughing, I can't help smiling. Then he thinks that it's a brilliant <laughs> pun because I'm laughing, yeah. whereas actually I'm laughing at him thinking that it's brilliant. I, I just can't help laughing. I'm just a happy person. I laugh a lot. The only person who, who laughs more than me is John Strike when he's watching Keyboard Cat every yeah, last time. Yeah, fucking ridiculous, what? that guy. Well, that guy has got... Uh, he must... I mean, his brain must be like an acorn. Because, <laughs> I mean, he, he puts that on every single day. I asked him the other day, didn't I? I said, why do you still laugh? And he says, I just pretend I haven't seen it before. <laughs> 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 every day he watches it, he pretends it's new. 
Oh, I wish I could do that. Yeah. And he laughs at the same bit as well. Yeah. That is an amazing skill to have. Yeah. Pretend you haven't done it. Oh, I just pretend. Like yeah. accidentally soiling yourself. I'm just going to pretend I didn't do it. And then, you know, it doesn't matter about the smell. No <laughs> one's going to... No have, have you got a, a load in your shorts there, John? Nah. <laughs> nah, nah. I'm all, I'm all right. I'm, all right. I'm, sh- I'm sure you filled your pants there, John. <laughs> no. No, no, I haven't, no. Yeah, feeling... Pretty good, all It told. feels fine. It feels like I've got a fresh pair of pants on. So, soft chair. <laughs> oh, I'll admit that Dr. Mangev is not bad. It's not bad. No, it's, it's not, not bad. bad. It's, not, it's no Las Vegas Goulevard, is it? <laughs> oh, no, it's certainly not. <laughs> it's certainly not. It's no dead mobs and boomsticks. No, that that was probably one of, you know... Dead mobs and boomsticks was a collective one between yeah, the two. It was, of you, it was a composite. It was yeah. a composite plan. You want you want to do something with uh, boomsticks. Yeah. Dead mobs and boomsticks can think of the thing with no. dead mob for la- last, um, oh, left for dead. Yeah. See, it's just a, a collection of really mediocre minds on this magazine, but you, you combine them and great things happen. And they become better than mediocre. Yeah. So um, I guess we should talk <laughs> a bit about some other stuff, probably. And uh, maybe there's only one place to start, and that's the uh, the Fallout from Infinity Ward. That's that's certainly on. Oh man, that's Infinity Ward and no more. Uh, we have to be a little bit careful about what we say here because obviously there's a legal action go- legal action going on here. But I mean, I think we can just yeah. Com- we don't we don't want to be late. We don't want to be like making any assumptions that will get us into trouble. Comment so, generally. So on let's it, lay on the facts in case people haven't haven't heard about it. So, um. Infinity Ward and Activision have always had a kind of vaguely antagonistic relationship anyway. They always seem to be slightly at odds with one another. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Um, every now and again you'll hear like, you know, someone... For example, you know, you had um, old Bobby Kotick, who we won't describe in any terms, which, which, which you know, compare him to the devil or anything, which is what everyone else is doing, and we couldn't possibly comment on that, obviously. But... Um, he uh, he was saying, you know, like you know, we like to keep a like a atmosphere of fear and skepticism and around the you know, office and stuff. So there was an Infinity Ward event where they named certain characters in the game fear and so profiles, Xbox profiles, it's like fear and skepticism and stuff like. That. There's always like a bit of a, a gentle ribbing going back and forth because perhaps you know the relationship hasn't been the best. The same as they, they always, of course, wanted to call Modern Warfare Two just Modern Warfare Two, and it got renamed to Call of Duty Modern Warfare Two. Their logo, the Activision logo, didn't even appear on the box, and Activision didn't like that at all. And there was a lot of business going on there. Just sorry to jump in, but rewind a couple of a uh, couple of years, um, and you had when World of War was coming out. You remember some of the guys from yeah, Infinity Rob, Rob War Bowling and all really weren't happy that yeah. they were. Um, Treyarch guys were comparing their no, game Treyarch to guys weren't War. comparing it. There was uh, one of the Activision, Activision Activision's guys, marketing man, and they said, you know, it's just like, why not? They said, why not just ask, actually ask someone from Treyarch, someone who's actually played the game, rather than, I think it was King Douche from Activision, was like, <laughs> is the phrase he used, something like that. So anyway, you look it up on your you'll see it yourself. But um, So anyway, um, Modern Warfare 2 comes out, makes loads of money, literally a third of Activision's money last year, I believe, came from that that in in the month that game came out, it was huge, and then a few months later, Vince Zampella and Frank West, is it? Jason West. It's Jason West. Frank West, the guy from yeah. Dead Rising. It'd be better if it was Jason. Yeah. Uh, Frank West. So Jason West, they get fired from Activision. Uh, Activision said say that those guys were trying to run off with their IP to EA. Um, meanwhile, West and Zampella are launching a countersuit, saying that Activision didn't pay them only fired them so they didn't have to pay them the 30-odd million dollars in royalties they're owed. So Western Zampella go away. They come back literally within two weeks, and they've already formed a new company, part of the EA's partner program, which is EA's partner program, which is um, the same thing that Crytek are under and Valve are under. It means they can create their own IP, retain control over it, but EA will just publish it for them. Uh, and then slowly the drip, drip, drip of Infinity Ward employees started to started to happen and slowly but surely people started to leave Infinity War and at this point we reckon they've lost around about 10% of their staff mm. and it's virtually every major developer lead on every single one who's, who's got the name lead, word lead in their title seems to have left Infinity War at this point uh, not saying where they're going I would be very surprised if they didn't turn up at Respawn at some point in the future once those guys actually have offices and a roof to work under because they haven't got anything at the moment they haven't even got a phone line um it's uh, 
it's the end. It really is potentially the end of Infinity Ward. Certainly the end of the quality we come to expect from Infinity Ward. I mean, they've still got a lot of talent in that studio, a hell of a lot of talent. But who knows how much more than many more of them they're going to leave? I mean, remember, Infinity Ward were formed like this themselves. Yeah, that's. I was going to say you made an interesting uh, point in the office. Uh, you know, certainly I was reading that you wrote this morning about how. You know that's what happened when they they did the you know Medal if of you Honor. If you want a preview, yeah, if you want to preview where this is going, look at Medal of Honor Allied Assault, which everyone pretty much agrees is the best Medal of Honor game to this day. Uh, Medal of Honor comes out, and around the same year it came out, West Zampella and a bunch of other guys left 2015 to set up their own company. That company was Infinity Ward. The next Medal of Honor game, which came out from EA, was far inferior. The next game, which came out from 2015. Uh, which was was God? What was it? Men of Valor. Yeah, yeah Men of Valor, Valor yeah. was also a right stinkeroo, and uh, along came Infinity Ward and did Call, Call of, of Duty, Duty, which was, of course was brilliant. Mm. Um, and the guys who have left Infinity Ward now are pretty much man for man the same guys who left 2015 back in the day. It's uh, an interesting bit of symmetry that's going on there. Yeah, it's. And I think you know, I mean, we don't know. Uh, we don't know what it exactly. Uh, is going on, and we wouldn't want to speculate. It'll all come out in a wash around June, yeah. we're hoping, because that's when they all go to they all go to their first court date. I mean, I would imagine like most first court dates, there'll be a lot of laying the cards on the table, and yeah. then them saying, "All right, we'll see you in six months." But yeah, um, but I think you can. You know, I mean, you, you, it's just interesting watching it. It's interesting watching how uh, you know two such uh, you know prominent uh, one publisher and one very very big, perhaps you know, apart from Bungie, the biggest developer in the world at the moment. Uh, have fallen out in such a massive way, and I think it's you know it's interesting that a lot of this seems to stem from from Infinity Ward, you know, reading the court the court uh, filing and filings and stuff seems to stem from Infinity Ward feeling like they haven't got control over their their the IP they've yeah. created, and they claim they still have the rights to the Modern Warfare name. A big part of their yeah. suit is their their claim that Activision signed over rights to any uh war based shooters that were set after the Vietnam War and at any point in the future. Right. I believe that's what Kotaku were reporting this morning. Right. And if that is the case, then they've got a really strong case for taking control of the Modern Warfare name. Yeah. If not, you can fully expect a game which very closely resembles Modern Warfare coming from Respawn probably in about three years and from now, if yeah. they turn it around fast enough. Yeah. Of course it'll speed up development greatly if they can take Infinity Ward's engine. Yeah, yeah. I mean and Presumably, you'd get once once the bonus. That's the thing. There's a lot of guys are hanging on at uh, Infinity Ward right now, but you got to wonder how many of those guys are hanging on for the bonuses they're yeah. owed, yeah. and they are owed big bonuses, a lot yeah. of bonuses. When a game sells 15 million copies, you know you're owed a lot of yeah. bonuses. So you got a bunch of guys sitting around waiting for the bonuses to get paid because everyone who's left so far, they, and this just suggests the working environment at that place is either quite bad or they're expecting to go somewhere that's quite good. Because you don't turn your nose up at no. literally millions of dollars no. of bonuses. You've got guys on that team who are probably owed, a lot, we're talking thousands upon thousands of dollars. Yeah, Isn't we're talking it? hundreds. I mean, hundreds that, that's Westerns, Westerns and Pella are making the millions yeah. from it, but there's guys below them who are also going to be owed hundreds of thousands who are walking out. I mean, Activision yeah. has come out with a comment saying, you know, oh, these guys are giving up on their bonuses when they leave. It's like, well, why would you ever release that? Because surely that why would just, you advertise that point? Yeah. just goes to show how bad it must... Well, again, speculating here, but you know they must be leaving for a reason. They must be sacrificing those bonuses for a reason. There is a strong loyalty to Western Zampel. I mean, those guys obviously really like... I mean, they've, they've travelled with those guys twice now. So there's obviously a strong loyalty there. But... Even so, to turn up your nose that much money, man, that's, that goes, that's going beyond loyalty. Yeah. In my book, that goes beyond loyalty. Mm. And, you know, I mean, they, it's, it's interesting that they've... I, I didn't expect them to sign with, with a, a publisher so quickly, actually. I thought what might happen was because they signed uh, with United Artists as their agents. Yeah. And what I thought might happen, and we talked about this briefly in the office, There's is I thought... More. There might be there are either be a bidding war or what they do is they'd uh, behave more in the way of like a director in, in the sort of movie industry who and they're farmed around to try and sort of head out, head up projects you yeah. know and I thought that might be the start of games going down the sort of movie route but I, but I guess when they know that they can produce a game which is going to sell some 10 12 13 million copies when they know they've got that kind of star power that they can they can create that game yeah go with fully independent you know yeah. start your brand new studio from yeah. scratch and like damn man, they're gonna like they're in for a big payday now. And it's certainly exciting, I, I guess. You know, I mean, I guess the people who have left Infinity War can can see what the future's gonna be, and the future's gonna be 
the next Modern Warfare, whether that's Modern Warfare 3 or 4 or whatever, or whether it's X, Game yeah. X, you know, I think, you know, that 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 game is going to be the next... Current uh, combat or something. Yeah. yeah. You but know. bear in mind, look at how easily Call of Duty killed Medal of Honor. Mm. And look at, I mean, these if Western Zampella, if anything, they have the potential to be those kind of giant killers again, you know? Yeah. So especially if Modern Warfare is now going down that, well, Call of Duty is going down the whole third-person shooter route and... You know, well, you a, that's what Sledgehammer are doing, right? Sledgehammer yeah. are doing a third-person Call of Duty, which is only I I feel is only really going to dilute the the branding that Activision supposedly has right now. So, yeah. if anything, it, it could potentially be even easier for Respawn to then come out with something new that would, you know, be the new benchmark. Mm. Know, even the name of their new studio is just loaded with connotations as well. You know, yeah. it's like yeah, we're killed, but we're back. It's like you know, the, the whole. The whole thing is just a uh, you know, news writer's dream right now. Yeah. I, I wrote the news this month and it was an absolute joy to write. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's such a deliciously thick soup of intrigue and, <laughs> and there's like a lot of a lot of slang there's a real, a real good slang in match going on, which you don't yeah. often get in these things. Most of the time you get okay with a court case we can't comment. I mean yeah. if you remember when um to like uh, even Silicon Knights Silicon Knights suing when, Epic, there was a yeah, there was a lot of uh, lot of yeah, we can't comment. We you know court case is pending. But with this, oh man, alive, they're slinging it back and forth. Even like EA had a great quote saying, someone asked EA for a comment and EA said something along the lines of, oh, we can't possibly uh, begin to comment on the, the sheer number of, uh, ca of <laughs> cases that Activision, lawsuits that Activision are bringing against their partners. It's, in uh, fact, that was it. I was in we that talk out at GDC. Them. He was, um, yeah, there was a fireside chat. Yeah. And just, you know, saying, having little digs at Activision here and there. Yeah. Obviously, this was before Respawn and um, EA had partnered with them. But it was very slight digs at Activision at their number of lawsuits. And the best thing for, like, I think I enjoy the most about this is just the reversal. The incredible reversal from Activision being in the 90, early 90s, sort of a beleaguered company who built their way back up. Mm. And for a while, they were real heroes of gaming, man. They were like, oh, yeah, you're like, oh, yeah, good. They're publishing some really good stuff. Really Tony good. Hawk. Yeah, really yeah. strong stuff. Oh, and then, I mean, they, they, milked, they milked their franchises a bit too much. Mm. But yeah. at the same time, they were no, nobody milks franchises more than EA. Yeah. And then yeah, the EA the were the demons. Yeah, they were the bad guys. You know, the whole EA spouse thing. And, oh, my God, everyone hated EA. Now... And it's it's been the work of two men, Bobby Kotick and John Riccatello. Yeah. John Riccatello has turned EA around. It, whether how much of the internal policies has changed around or not, we don't know. I mean, we know chance people we know who work at EA. They all say it's a very different company now. And it's a very nice company to work for. Mm -hmm. I know there are people at EA who said they wouldn't have dreamed of working, you know, at EA without Riccatello being the head, changing the policies as much as it is. Meanwhile, you have got Bobby Kotick on the other side. Who's just a PR disaster? Mm. Every time the man opens his mouth, he says something which is gets in bad, gets bad PR. Now, to be fair, it hasn't affected the stock price at all because no. the guy is obviously an excellent boss. Uh, and again, EA stock under Riccatello sadly hasn't hasn't gone the same way as, as public opinion of mm. EA. So, I mean, in terms of just businesses, I guess maybe you know Kotick's got it right and Riccatello's got it. I think wrong I think in, the other that front. I don't know what Kotick's background is really, but. Um, I do know Riccatello's been in the industry for a while, mm -hmm. and I think he's he's maybe a bit more savvy, you know. Well, as I understand and I think it, Kotig is like a hard-nosed businessman. He's a money he's a, man he's for a, sure. He's a obviously a very very good businessman, and you know I think a lot of the things like the taking the fun out of gaming, I think actually I mean it's a it's a bit of a silly thing to say, but I think when you read the actual transcript from what he was talking about, he was talking to Wall Street types. He's talking about being he's a talk, professional take, production. He's industry. talking about taking the risk out of gaming. Yeah. He's talking about taking the risk out of it. And, it's and just it, it, it makes for poisonous headlines. It does. He, he, do, he creates his own problems by saying yeah. stuff like that. But I think Riccatello's a bit more savvy, and he can balance the kind of business world with the with the, the, the world of gaming and its unique kind of needs and what it wants to hear. And I think maybe that's the difference between the two. So gaming is such an immature industry. I mean, in, in so many ways. A, it's a young industry, and B, it's enjoyed by a very young audience and so on. And again, I think, as you say, Riccatello sort of understands that. He understands how to talk to that audience. He understands how to talk to a largely youth and young male audience without being, being patronising, without treating, mm. uh, treating people as if they're stupid. Meanwhile, Kotick's talking like a businessman mm. all the time and saying some stuff which, A, can be misinterpreted and, B, can be interpreted exactly as it was intended but taken in a bad way. You know, it's, it's, it's Kotick's mouth. Yeah, and I think... He gets him in more, he writes checks he can't cash. <laughs> That's right. And I think the, the other thing is, uh, the, the, probably the last point on this, I guess, is that 
what makes it extra interesting, as you said, is all the little digs and stuff, but also yeah. the fact that it's basically come down to EA versus Activision. I think that's the most interesting thing because, like we've just said, this was EA like five or six years ago. Yeah. EA were Activision five or six years ago, and 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 now the the roles have completely reversed, and everyone's like, yeah, hooray for EA, kind of, you know. Yeah. And it's amazing. It's well, an what amazing. What weird thing some people would yeah. be cheering on EA for signing up this game because norm, normally, normally, ten five years ago, everyone would have been like, oh, that's the end of those, that's the end yeah. of Call of Duty, yeah. then that's the end of Modern Warfare. Now you go, oh, they're with EA. That means that's, that's going to be great because yeah. you look at what they did with Valve and you look at what they've done with Crytek and you look at the how, what a great relationship they have with those guys and they just let them get on with it. They mm. say, you know, you're making great games, go and get on with it. And I have absolutely no doubt they'll do the same with Western Zion Palace's new company. Yeah. Do you want to talk about what we've been playing then? Yeah. What you you haven't been playing anything, have you? Because you've been no, on holiday. I've been on holiday for two weeks. Two and a half weeks, actually. And what a two and a half weeks it was. Where do you go? Went, to, Sa- went to South people. Africa uh, for two and a half weeks because uh, my wife's uh, from, from that part of the world. So, uh, yeah, it was great. Brilliant weather. Uh, brilliantly cheap steak. Uh, loads of ice cream. Ma- amazing beaches. Uh, brilliant. I highly, highly advise anyone who's got the money to go to South Africa. Are there any particular um, local dishes that are particularly unusual that you, you enjoy or any yeah, you, you don't enjoy? There's one that uh, that my wife cooks from time to time at home uh, called Baberti, which is, um, I think it's an Afrikaans word, but uh, I don't know what it means. But it's basically mincemeat with baked egg. Okay. And... Um, and it's, oh man, it is absolutely, and it's sort of spices, it's got spices in it, you know, like, uh, of some description. You'll have to invite this round for a family dinner. Man so alive, and you have it with rice, and that, that stuff is killer, really nice. But what I was, mo- I think I said to you guys in the office, what I was most impressed with in South Africa is that, you know, when I first started going over sort of 11, 12 years ago, it was, everything was cheap, you know, it was like ridiculously cheap out there. As the, t- as the years have gone on and the pounds, especially recently when the pounds gone down the toilet, uh, it's not been quite as cheap, but food remains ridiculously cheap. Mm-hmm. And obviously out there, barbecuing is, is a big big part of the, the culture, or brise as they call it out there. And um, I went into a supermarket and I said to, I said to my father-in-law, I want a, I want a steak because back home... Um, we've talked about steak on the yeah, podcast before. Yeah, steak's a topic we've done many times, yeah. but British steak... Sucks. Sucks. So I said to my father, I want a steak. And he said, okay. So we went down to the supermarket, went in. This packet uh, of two slabs of steak, which I, I kid you not, are probably about... Hold out that magazine, Pellet, where is it? I need to... It's probably about <laughs> half half the size of the Xbox world. Each steak is probably half the size, yeah. the exact size of Xbox world. Three pounds seventy for two steaks, right? And these were Lovely. the best steaks. I mean, they were fantastic steaks, and um, and so I proceeded to eat a lot of steak over the course of the next two and a half weeks because I felt that um, it was a good chance to catch up on my steak eating. Yeah, but it was not. Uh, but it was a good few difficult visits to the bathroom. Right? <laughs> it was, and unfortunately, as I said to you this morning. Since coming back to the UK, I've got back on the straight and narrow of my eating because I don't really generally eat a lot of red meat here. Uh, I certainly don't eat gallons of ice cream like I had uh, over there. And now uh, the best thing about that is that when I start eating well again, all my spots come out. So I've got terrible complexion at the moment, but it was worth it. And you managed to get back just before the world exploded. Yeah, I managed to get back just before um, a volcano uh, reminded everyone that Mother Nature is still in charge. Mm. Um, But my wife and daughter are still over there. So uh, hopefully they'll be back on Saturday. It's actually been quite a boon for us because um, on the one hand, it stopped. Uh, it stopped me from interviewing Sushi Anaba, mm. which was a big pro- which was a big problem. I really wanted to chat to that guy. Guy's working on Vanquish. I didn't get to interview him, unfortunately. Although we are going to be doing a little email interview, hopefully, uh, with with Shinji Mikami. And on the upside, That's it kept uh, kept Rob Taylor three thousand miles away from <laughs> us. That's right. Yeah. Old. Uh, yeah. The Tan Man uh, went out to. Um, we can't just not say oh, where we can't, because we, can't, we, we, can't can't say, we don't Yeah, we can't say anything. We can't right? say at the moment where he went, but he went to see something in a place in America. Yeah. And, and let's just say it was a bit of a backwater. Yeah, and, and uh, he, he got he's stuck trapped. There. <laughs> he's uh, back in the country today, though. Yeah, he was, he was just trapped for a long time. But here's, but it's not too bad, really, being trapped when someone else is paying your bills, is it? No, it's not. Uh, no. Absolutely not, no. So, uh, so yeah, it was good. Uh, it was a nice time away. Um, I, I didn't... I don't really know... Um, 
I'm sort of catching up with what's been going on since I've been away because I literally came back into deadline. So my holiday went like this, land, back into the office, final checking for the next week. So I haven't been on the web. I don't know what you guys have been playing. So tell me, tell me what's been going on. <laughs> well, uh, I've, uh, I've, I've, I think, uh, gained a lot of respect for you while you've been away because obviously Mike and I have been filling in for you while you're in South Africa. And uh, every day was a was a nightmare. <laughs> was a nightmare job of of crying over the phone line, begging for code to arrive that yeah. never ever did. Yeah. Um, waiting for assets to arrive, which never did. Waiting for emails <laughs> to drop in my inbox, which never did. Juggling cover potential covers for future issues. Yeah, it was a uh, it was a real eye opener, and uh, that's just good. Isn't it? Glad you're back. It's good, isn't it? <laughs> I remember when old, uh, old old Rob was on the mag and he was uh, he he was dep- deputy editor and I went away for a couple of weeks and he when he, when he came back and said, "Glad you're back," because <laughs> the thing is is that because you you know you're always you're also fi- you're filling in for someone but you're also doing your own job yeah. at the same time which doesn't exactly help, but I think uh, you know it is it is when you know when you get to edit her magazine it's actually not that much of the fun stuff yeah, and quite a lot of the. It's, it's amazing how much time you lose just with a couple of phone calls chasing yeah. things up. Suddenly the morning's gone or the afternoon's gone and the game that you were planning on sitting down and finishing hasn't even got started. Yeah, you can't do it, you just can't. That's why I literally never play games. And the thing yeah. is, like, uh, people often say, you know, oh, it must be brilliant playing games with them. And I can honestly say the last game I played in the office was Street Fighter 4. Yeah. Super Street Fighter 4. You just don't get time Which was about a month, about well, six weeks ago I wrote that review. Like, damn, man, I, I went, I almost, unless I'm doing reviews, and I don't often do reviews these days, I'm mostly on the features and news. And... Oh man, alive! It's I've almost never I forget to pick up a game, and actually in the office, often like play little bits of games at events. But that's not a satisfying way to play. Mm. No, we do uh, we do sometimes now when Co comes in, we have to enjoy it in our own time outside the office, which we have done um, this past week for this issue we yeah. just sent. Can we, can we tell people what we've been playing? We can tell people what's on the cover. Yep. We can't say anything. For the next Literally, week. we cannot say a word. For the on issue the game. on shelves early May. So, this is not the issue that's on shelves right S- now. 6th of May, yeah. 6th yeah. of May. It's advertised as the 11th of May. I yeah, think we had to bring it forward. Yeah. Um, so, uh, readjust your diaries. Yeah. It means you get an extra treat, though. A little, uh, little speedy, speedy soon copy of that. We get yeah. the, uh, the first uh, Alan Wake review. Yeah, and so Matt and I have been playing Alan Wake. Which we can't talk about, apparently. Literally nothing. I'm sorry. We, we can't say a word on it. So we can't say if it's good. We can't say if it's bad. No, no. We can't say about we the part with the dinosaur. Or the UFO. Yeah. No, 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 can't no. do that either. Can't, okay. can't say about the uh, the lorries that speak either. No. Or, or, the, or, or um, the clown army. No, and the bit when it turns make... into a rhythm action game. That's yeah. total hush. Yeah, okay. So, uh, so so we're sorry. We don't, want, we don't like teasing people. We don't mean to tease you. But that's what you've got to enjoy in your next issue. And it's going to come out almost a week earlier so be sure to keep your eye out in the shops if you don't already subscribe and if you don't subscribe you should it'll definitely be worth picking up as well because we've done 10 whole pages on it so uh yeah so. big one big one this, this can be loaded with loads of other great stuff as well which we'll tease close to the time because otherwise it's just it's just it's just teasing yeah. and, and you, and you might what you've been uh, what you've been playing i'm playing splinter cell conviction oh yeah yeah but a lot of people actually asked and i was surprised by how many people came out and asked but uh why i didn't do the review for us Put simply, it was nothing uh, sinister going on. I mean, uh, maybe people thought it was that, uh, that there was something creepy or business going on between us and Ubisoft. Nah, absolutely there wasn't. We and uh, we were supposed to be doing the cover earlier in the year, and they delayed their game, so we had to review it later. And I was still going to be doing it, but I wasn't. Co- I wasn't not confident. I won't say confident. I wasn't happy to review off of the code I'd already played, given that they'd taken it away to work on for another four weeks. Yeah. So I figured, well. When the code comes in, I'll sit and play it again, and then I'll review it again. And just didn't have time. Just, just fu- came in just fu- far too close. Came, to came in late in the issue, and we had to go and get someone else to do it. And so, handpicked uh, man of a thousand Clancy's, Andy Hartup did it, who's yeah. reviewed lots of lots well, of he's games. Pretty for us. much reviewed every Clancy yeah, he's game we've ever done. So he was a best, a well placed substitute. If I couldn't review it, he's the first man I would go to to get it. So, and I'm kind of glad that he did because if I had reviewed it off the build I played, it would have. I would have said more harsh things about it than Andy did. And that's not because Andy was soft on it, it's because the game has changed since I played it. Not in a huge way. There's quite a few ghetto fixes to problems that I had back when that game first came out. And I'm going to list some of them because I think people might be interested in just what Ubisoft were doing during those weeks. I think the biggest thing they did was stop it from crashing every 40 seconds, mm-hmm. which was a problem when I was reviewing. I will admit, when you get, ooh, let's say, 
I don't know, 10 minutes into a level, it would crash, and you go, oh, well, I'll restart, and then you get five minutes into the same level, and it would crash, and you have to keep teleporting yourself around the level to get back to the part where you were using the debug menu, and that was fun. So that's obviously the biggest thing they fixed. They, that had to be fixed, but they also did a lot of things they didn't necessarily need to do. Needed fixing for for difficulty, obviously, because the Iraq level when I first played that was a living nightmare, which is almost impossible to play. Now, what they did with that level is obviously they made it easier, but some of the big changes they made to me, they, they, it feels to me that it stripped out a lot of the AI. I think they've, I think they've adjusted a little bit of the layout of the cover on the way there, and I'm not certain about that because the memory is a little bit hazy at this point. They also um, made the Iraqis a lot less reactive, the Iraqi soldiers. Before, you would put one bullet into one, and then every single one of them would be instantly trying to flank you, moving around, and aggressively coming towards you. Now they sort of hang back and they wait. It's, um, they made that level a whole lot easier. The level after that, the carnival level, and anyone who's played the game is going to be familiar with this stuff. If not, go and play it. It's a really good game. It's, it's from, for me, it's not Splinter Cell. It's, it's a very different kind of game, but it's still a good game. There's still a lot to like about it. The next level is this carnival level, where before you had to hunt these three guys through this carnival. It's a very busy crowd, and it's clearly a leftover from what Splinter Cell once was. Yeah. Splinter Cell Conviction once was. But it shows you why what Splinter Cell once was was probably not... Ditched. Yeah, you know, why, it was, why it was ditched, because it was a real mess. You'd be walking around, and all of a sudden you'd be seen by a guy you never could have known was there. Sure, the three guys you're hunting wear suits, but they're on constant patrols, and they're always moving around, and you've got to snatch them at the right time, which means you've got to stick close to them, and that means it's easy to be seen. And while you're hunting one, you get seen by another. Mm. Except anyone who's actually played the game, the game, the finished game, they won't have had any problems with that, because all three guys are marked. Got a little X above their head. And if you look at that little X above their head, and you think, wow, that's a... Looks really ghetto, just having that X there. It's not a special mark. It's not a special chevron or anything like that, like it is when you mark an X here. It's just this really clumsy-looking placeholder X. Well, that's exactly what it is. That marker wasn't there when I was playing the game. And I remember struggling my way through it, and I'm presuming their playtesters must have had the same problem, yeah. because in the final game, they're all three marks, and it makes hunting them on that level just a joy. It makes it very easy. You, go, you take them out, and you get into the next section. And they've, uh, they, they changed quite a few little bits along the way. They really did. And all the changes they made were for the better. Um, I really like Splinter Cell. I said it back when I first played it. I'll say the same now. Uh, I like it more than I thought I would, honestly do, because the fixes they put in are all good ones. Uh, the cult mode is still the strongest part of the game, by yeah. far. And it's strong even if you play alone. It really is. It's, it's the strongest even if you play alone because the maps are so open and so wide. I apologize if we've spoken about this before, but I've spoken about it so many times in the office, I don't know if it's come up on the podcast before. Um, it was, they were designed by two separate teams, one headed up by Maxime Belland and the other one headed up, headed up by Patrick Redding, who you worked on the multiplayer mode for Far Cry 2. Guy knows multiplayer games, man. He knows multiplayer maps. He knows them well. And he knows you, if you're going to do a co-op game, you need to have a lot of space to improvise, a lot of space to experiment, because you've got double the options. Mm -hmm. Double the men making the same number of choices all the time, you know? They have to have space to make those choices, and he's given you that space. His team have built some of the best Splinter Cell maps ever, and they're much better than the regular campaign maps. And if you're sitting at home thinking, oh man, that's, that's, that's awful because I play on my own, I want to play on my own. Well, that's okay, because you can play those maps on your own. They don't have any story, you've just got to hunt the AI through the maps. That's a really great way to play, because those challenge rooms, which they call Deniable Ops, really, really good fun. It's a great way to play the game. But if you get a chance, play the, um, play the mode against a friend. It's the, it is a great game to play with friends. A bit like it's like playing chess or something, you know? When you play, if you beat someone at a game of chess, a friend, you don't get all up in their face and go, yeah, I, beat, I busted you up. You don't, get, you don't sort of start cussing them out. You've never played chess around my house, Mark. Well, I, I, don't, I, can't, I can't accommodate your douche factor. <laughs> but if you, um, you know, you don't know, but there's no animosity no, about it. It's just, not. it's all for fun, right? When you play with someone online, often you get, you're up against some D-bag who really wants to just like crush, kill and destroy. If you're playing with Splinter or the friend, particularly the, uh, the adversarial mode, yeah which for my money is probably one of the smartest adversarial modes I've played since the original Splinter Cell. And it's way, way simpler than the um, Chaos Theory in Pandora's Tomorrow, Tomorrow's Multiplayer, way simpler, but it's still very clever. If you flood the, AI, the map with AI, and then you have to hunt one another while also hunting the, the AI. And the cool, cool thing about it is that you can change how much AI is in the map. If you want a really sedate game, where it's just you know, mano a mano hunting in the dark, you can have no AI at all. If you want to have a, make it so it's, you've got to keep moving because there's always AI hunting for you, which I think is the way to play, just a few AI, maybe five, five guys on the map, and they're all looking for both of you, but you're looking for one another at the same time. Or you can just load the AI with the map with constantly spawning AI and 
it's insane it's frantic you're always getting seen you're always running around just breaking necks there's loads of ways to play it and that's a great thing when if you've got a friend who's got a copy of splinter cell between the two of you you will literally never run out of fun things to do in that mode you just always just you know you just sit you play you kill one another a few times you're like oh that's brilliant let's do it again so it's a really really good game and um i really hope they carry that design aesthetic over to the single player mode in the next splinter cell which they say will be coming a hell of a lot faster than the last one it'd be tough not to yeah <laughs> Um, while you were out and when you got back as well, we've also been playing a lot of um, the new World Cup game in yeah. the office, uh, which is people people always... Uh, well, in fact, we got a question on, on the forum saying, you know, why did EA bother to release a World Cup game when they've got the FIFA game? Um, it's a seriously good game of football. And I think the critical thing here is that it's a different game of football. It's not just FIFA. It's... Uh, well, it is just FIFA. <laughs> it's not <laughs> just FIFA. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. But, you know, it's got enough changes to warrant picking up and playing again. It's a, it's a, it's a very good game. I mean, The you old know, tricks don't apply. You've got yeah, to learn you, it again. You've played the uh, probably a, a much later version than I have. But um, but we were playing it again today, and it was, you know, it's, it's a very it's a very good game. Tell um, them who won. A pallet won twice. With a disgusting goal, one of the goals. I, my my major downfall really on on that game as as it ha as it really is on any FIFA is that I just cannot finish one on ones, and uh, I I have at least as many chances as Pellet, but he's just so utterly clinical that games end up being like four one or Pathological something. Pathological is the is yeah. the word. When the guy just sees the goal, goes and, for the goal, and you know scores the games goal. will end up being four one when you know I've maybe not dominated but at least had you know as many chances and as much possession. It's just because I'm a crap finisher, so I really need to start practicing a bit because I ca it can't go on like this. I like I, 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 you know, I spent the last three weeks really in a nice a nice place, and then one one hour of uh, FIFA at lunchtime is has um, done done all that good work. Back to reality. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> it's a good game, though, right? Sorry, I'm so good. It, it's a very good game, and. Uh, uh, I was just saying to Tim, um, while you dashed out for some extra water, that a lot of people kind of wonder whether or not it's worth buying another FIFA game. You know, kind of a halfway house between 10 and 11. I totally think it is, even though it's got very limited shelf life. I mean, are people really yeah, going to be playing it towards the end of the, the year? shelf life's minutes When long. the World Cup's like in distant memory. And P personally, I don't, I don't necessarily agree. I, I think it is a great game, and, and it's a great game because we don't have to pay for it. But... I don't know whether I'd pay... How much is it? 40 quid? 50 yeah. quid? Yeah, 40. I wouldn't either. I'm not sure I'd pay 40 quid for it. I if mean, you see it somewhere for like 20, 25 quid, it, it's probably worth picking up. pick up like, you know, the last FIFA game for the 20, 30 quid mark at this yeah. point, right? And, but the, the beauty of the World Cup games is that the minute the World Cup ends, bargain the price bin. just is, yeah. hits the bargain bin. Yeah. So if you want to get this game, and it is a great FIFA game, if you don't have a FIFA game in your library, and you know maybe you're not planning mm. on getting the one later this year, I mean, the thing is, it's worth pointing out, it's a better game of football than FIFA 10. Yeah. It may not have all the features. It's got different features, obviously. It doesn't have all the all the glamour of, of FIFA 10, but it's definitely a better game of football once you're on the pitch. Yeah. Yeah, that, that I agree there, definitely. You know, and, and but you could see the same, you know, it, with the last Euro... Um, yeah, hating. yeah, I mean that was that really upped. That was basically when FIFA that was became UEFA game. Yeah. yeah, that was a really good became game. the man, you know. And I, I think it is really good. I wouldn't pay forty quid for it though. If you, especially if you've got FIFA ten, I, I personally wouldn't. Um, but I think it is. You know, if you see it discounted online somewhere, um, or even if you see a sort of second-hand copy somewhere or something, then I'd, I'd definitely do it. So uh, yeah, especially if you're the guy who's playing FIFA with with a, a friend, a flatmate, or something like every night of the week. Mm. I think you, you definitely have to get that, and that, that's when it does become worth that forty quid. Yeah. You know, mm. that's when you can you're, when you know you're going to get your money's worth. If you've got a little group of guys always playing FIFA, you're going to get a better game of footy every night of the week from this. Mm. I think it's almost because they EA know with these games are only coming every two years, a World Cup and a Euro European Cup game every two years, and whereas with FIFA, and, I'm, we, and we've had this discussion before, and I'm, I think it, it would take a 
It's a cynical mind which suggests it, but I think it's very true. Every year they fix something, every year they break something. Mm -hmm. So that you, so every year you sit there, you go, oh man, FIFA's brilliant this year, but I wish they fixed the throw-ins. Mm. And next year you, get, you play the game, you're like, oh, they fixed the throw-ins, I've been waiting for them to fix those for ages. But corners in that but, oh man, corners <laughs> suck. Mm. And then you, every year they, they fix something and they break something. They, they, they re regress something a little and push something forward. So that there's always something to do next year. Yeah. It's not like a golf game where you can just add more courses and, you know, and be done with it. Yeah. They, they, you really need to add, you know, once football's football, once you've got the core game, what are you going to do to it? Mm. So they fix something, they break something. And now with um, with the European and World Cup games, there's a bigger gap between revisions. So they don't have to say, well, we need to break something so that they buy the next World Cup game because you've got to wait four years for that. Yeah, you know? there's yeah. no, they, they can just concentrate on doing a solid game of football and they really have. So, yeah, FIFA, FIFA World Cup. Um, do you want a sweet? Yeah, go on then. Let's have some sweets. Let's then. go for the taste test. Let's have, um, let's have some savoury first. So... Uh, once again, I should point out that uh, Mike's book bought some uh, sweets of indecipherable origin. Uh, I brought some into the office this week, but uh, from South Africa, but they weren't massively. Exotic. We were going to do a face-off, right? But yeah, it was just a, but, one was but, a lychee flavour. But hoodie has become uh, massively addicted to them. Um, milky moose and uh, and lychee flavoured. Uh, milky milky, milky moose are a bit like Werther's. Milky moose are like white Werther's original. Yeah, Racist. I'm quite worried about what you have now, Mike, because He's you've been promising. These and uh, yeah, got these. It, got these back a couple of months, a couple of weeks ago. How did you get them? Did you order them? Nah, my girlfriend went into London. And she's got a weird thing for like weird Japanese stuff, like you know, the old anything which has got like weird little faces on and stuff. I don't know. It's this thing I've noticed with a lot of girls. They um, they like she's like she'll have, she she's like she have like a handbag which has got like a big smiley face on stuff like that, and she's just one of she's like crazy about stuff like that. So she goes into like these Japanese stores, and the funny thing about um. Like, all Asian snack food, it seems, is just d decorated with smiley faces and most most incredible boxes. Mm -hmm. like even their Kit Kats come in a box, which we've got which right here, there. a boxed Kit Kat, which you'll get that in a minute. It's like a box of jelly. It does, it does. And you get, like, a little... Um, or Oxy. Little Cheese. boxes, bags of sweets, and every single sweet in the bag will be individually wrapped, you know, like it's opal fruits. I mean, they're not sticky sweets. Really, really elaborate packaging. Japan doesn't care about your environment. But Japan just, uh, Japan just <laughs> F Fs your environment. <laughs> doesn't care. So anyway, so this is um, an Asian sweet. This is called a Tohato Bino. That looks okay. like a gherkin or something. Front. Let's open it up, because I haven't tried these either, so all of this is a surprise to me. Now these... Mm, they're, they're, <laughs> they're like uh, crisps, but... They are like gherkins or something, aren't they? There you go. Oh, they smell bad. Come on, they smell all right. They smell friggin' foul. Are they peas? Yeah. They look like... They're little green... Um, they look like... Um, rabbit, like, really, like, really... Like rabbit food or something, you know? Yeah, like, like they're, they're they green. They like green Cheetos. Yeah, they're, they're green. They're, it's, it's, like, it's in a bag, which is like a bag of crisps. Don't eat it yet. It's like a bag of crisps. Uh, a foil-sealed packet, and I guess they're sold like crisps. But they're peas, like uh, it's a dried pea pod, dusted with flavourings. And let's have a look at the back, make sure we're not going to kill palate. Fifty-seven percent peas, vegetable oil, salt, glucose Injected syrup, powdered with vinegar. Nuts. <laughs> so it might be basically salt and vinegar peas. Okay. Ready? Okay, let's go. Bang them. Actually, not bad. Yeah. Not bad at all. Funny texture. Again, yeah. kind of like uh, Cheetos or something. Actually, very nice. Yeah, very nice. Yeah, I'll have a oh a bit of an aftertaste. That's why you got to keep eating them. So, get rid of so in Japan, if you're in Japan, you literally have to consist on a diet of just these. You never stop. Yeah. All right. Mm, not bad. I thought that was going to be awful, but... Yeah, it is as well. Yeah, we'll finish them in the office. Hmm. So... Our readers are thinking, boo, bring out the, bring out the dog poo. So that's to Hato Bino. If anyone wants to join us in this, you can hit, like, cybercandy.com or something, or maybe .co.uk, and get some to Hato Bino. Um... They do, they do have a bit of an aftertaste, you're right, yeah. Well, we'll get rid of those with um, these things, which appear to be peaches and chocolate. <laughs> oh. But it's small, you've got like... So now you've got like a little tube, which is kind of like what you get more teasers in at Christmas. This yeah. like sort of thing, yeah, yeah. Or mini eggs. It takes yes, a lot of unwrapping. Yeah. This is a part of the whole crazy packaging thing they do, right? Look at this. I mean, this is the most elaborate packaging ever. Twist off the top. Look. That is nice. Um. It's like Apple made it. Oh, Tahato Bino. Now right. these just look like Revels. Yeah, me. they look like um, M&M's or something. Oh, they smell of peach. I'm not a big fan of peach. So well, nor am I. This ain't going to go down too well. Let's do it. 
What are gummies? It, it tastes like mouthwash. Yeah, it does. Oh. No, no. they're really not nice. Turn no. me out of that. Oh. <coughs> At least it's not as bad as Kryptonite was. Oh, I've got Kryptonite. <laughs> this was um, Meji Peach Yogurt Gummy Chocolate. Mm, well, it, it certainly tasted more of Meji than anything else. <laughs> 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 the last thing is... um. Ginger, see, I, I did have the option to get you awful sweets, but I figured this time we get you something which might be okay. Just to throw us off guard next time when you come back with the pickled ball sacks. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm going to bring back from E3. We'll come back with, the, with those famous Californian pickled ball sacks. <laughs> um, in Japan, they have so many different flavors of Kit Kat. There's actually a blog on the internet dedicated to Kit Kats. Do a search for it, Japanese Kit Kat blog. It's, um, they do Kit Kats in uh, so many different flavors over there. There's even a... Um, a uh, God, was it? Um, uh, yeah, oh yeah, um, a Swede-flavoured one or something mm. like that. It's, they do all kinds. So this one is a ginger ale Kit Kat. Oh. <laughs> Can't be that bad. I if you'd like said root beer, I'd be nominated. Ale. There you go. I love Thanks. me some root beer. Ginger ale, though. And of course, it, c it comes in a box. And you get two fingers individually wrapped. Individually wrapped, yeah. No, you don't. It's white. Oh, I see what you mean, yeah. It's white, look at that. And shorter than a British Kit Kat, I think. Oh, I, I just smell it. <laughs> it smells fizzy. It smells disgusting. It smells, it smells like, like there's fizzy cola bottles. It smells like potpourri. All right, do it. It's not bad. It's not bad. It's actually not, it's actually not bad. It's got a bit of a... It's a fizzy Kit Kat. It's got a bit of a, like a falling down with your mouth open in a meadow kind of um, <laughs> kind of vibe about it. It's definitely fizzy. Yeah, yeah. Not not too bad. It's certainly not. What are those those ones that tasted a sick that you brought in that oh, time? Oh God, what was that? Bean boozlers. Yeah, oh, bean boozlers. <laughs> they were the worst. You know what? You know what that Kit Kat's missing. What? Is is that those um those crystal crystal like sweets that you can sometimes get in. Uh, some ice creams, which you put in your mouth and they popping explode. Candy, yeah, popping candy. Yeah, it could have done with a little bit of popping candy in the middle, just Remember to bring out the candy, Nothing, Nothing yeah. needs popping candy. No. That's awful stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's Any food which hurts your mouth. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I'm all for the popping candy. Why? Because you, you have a child lunchbox. Because <laughs> that. And it's just this weird sensation of having... Got, that could be taken two ways. <laughs> of, having some, <laughs> of having something explode in your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Because you've got a child's lunchbox, and so I don't like having something explode in my mouth. No, I, I don't. Oh, you do, do like something explode. Sorry, Pallet, sorry. I didn't mean to get it, get it wrong. Yeah. The, trick, the old trick with popping candy is to uh, eat a little popping candy and drink a big bottle of Pepsi to see if, <laughs> see if it explodes. <laughs> Like kids, it's, your it's, down, it's an urban legend, right? It's this urban legend that a kid died when he did that. But obviously, it didn't, it didn't really happen. It's an urban legend. It's like that Family Guy episode. But you should try it anyway, just to see if you die. Have you seen the Family Guy episode, Das Boom? It's the first episode of season two. And yeah, it's the one where the millennium bug happens and the world basically ends. And then Peter eats all of the dried food. And they're like, oh no, Lewis is like, uh, oh, what have you done? Uh, that was like our year's supply of dry food or whatever. It's like, oh, it lasted like five minutes. And then he drinks a pitcher of water. It just explodes. Brilliant. It's almost as funny as the real thing. It's always when it was on TV when it's described to you in great <laughs> detail. Anyway, speaking of dry food, I have some more Tahato Bino. Cheers. I don't want any more of your pee, Mike. He was working. <laughs> he was waiting to deliver that one. I don't like the Questions. questions. Did we get any from Facebook in the end? No. Couldn't get on the Facebook, no. We were relying on our iPhones to get us onto Facebook, but we're in basically a room which is like I'm an armoured car. Save them for next week. Mm. Clover7 wants to know. Uh, Tim says he doesn't trust anyone with two Christian names. Does, <laughs> <laughs> does the same apply to surnames, such as Tiger Woods? Yes. Yeah, it does. The, the same rule applies. Never trust never trust a man with two Christian names. Or two or, surnames. Or two surnames. I'm sure Tiger Woods' wife would strongly agree with Tiger that. Tiger Woods, John Terry... Two Christian names. Um, well, where would Edward Woodward fall into your categorising? Because that's that's neither, but it's a bit of a weird one. A well, Edward name. is a is a bona fide Christian name. Woodward, I say, would. But it's like a repeating a of his Christian name. No, he, do, he doesn't like count. It's like a stutter or something. No, no, yeah, it doesn't really count. It's got to be stuff like John Terry. T Tiger Woods is another good example. Well, um, here's some proof. 
former England manager Graham Taylor, not only has two first names, he has two last names. Taylor and Graham are both George perfectly Graham. good surnames, mm. and Taylor's a perfectly good first name as well. George Graham, yeah. I mean, I obviously being an Arsenal fan, I uh, I got a lot of time for George Graham, but um, he did go down with that whole bung thing, <laughs> didn't he? Yeah, he, 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 he took took payment for for what something he shouldn't. Have How done, so. about what about the people who don't play by the rules and only have one name? I generally. Well, like <laughs> well yeah. Or, I, I or generally just, wouldn't trust anyone who's got one name. I think it's you know if you can't be, but I'm all right, thanks, Mike. If you can't be bothered to have a surname or a Christian name, then what's the point in turning up every day? What's the point in getting out of bed? You know, if someone says to you, "All right." You know, hello Shakira, how you doing? Sorry, what's your second name? Shakira. So what's your first name? Shakira. Well, you can't even be bothered to have a to have a surname. Beyonce. Yeah, well, I mean, mm. you know. So no, I wouldn't trust anyone with just one name. I wouldn't trust anyone with two Christian names, and I wouldn't trust anyone with two surnames. And it's and that's Weaver's rules. Still, she wolf. Good video. Yeah, very good. Uh, Copy Al wants to know: Do we play against any other mags over Xbox Live? Battlefield Bad Company 2, for example, and do we kick their asses? We've, with Battlefield, I can answer this, with Battlefield we do play alongside other mags. PSM? Play alongside PSM and Endgamer. Endgamer's Matt Castle. Also play from, with a couple of guys from PC Gamer uh, when they are occasionally playing the Xbox version. A couple of them will play the mm. Xbox version. Most of them are... Martin Davies, who is formerly on Edge, he, he gets yeah. in on the app. Yeah, so we, uh, we do. Um, not as often as you might think. Uh... You know, one of the things about working in the games business is that sometimes you play games all day, and on those rare occasions you get to, you don't want to play games when you get home. Um, but Battlefield's a flavour of the month for sure. In office, yeah, we play a lot. We play Street Fighter against um, a couple of guys on Games Radar, a guy on PSM3, which we do absolutely conclusively batter them. Oh, no, 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 no. We don't. You do. <laughs> well, I didn't want to say it. I didn't want to say it, but yeah, all right. Um, but no, yeah, it's it's. It, it goes in phases. I guess like anyone at home can say can relate to it. Like you know, you get a new game, you play it online with your friends. One or two of them drifts away. One or two more drift away in the next week, and then you're not playing it anymore. The only game which has really stuck in the last you know year couple of years has been Battlefield though. Battlefield Bad Company Two has got a real solid group of people. The only one of which is who's dropped out now is Andy Kelly. He's decided he's going to play other stuff. He just didn't have time to play other games. And he wanted to enjoy other games. But yeah, we do. Um, but not as much as you might think. Evil Volkman wants to know, do we think this generation seems to have a... Sorry, I'll try that again. D he wants to know whether or not we think this generation has a lack of clan support. Last clan gen, support? Cl <laughs> clan oh. support, not clown support. Um, last generation, it was quite common for clan support on Xbox games. Clan support? <laughs> Go on. Um, he wants to know whether or not clan support goes against Microsoft's idea of a community. No, it doesn't. It's, uh, it's something they were very happy with on Halo 2. They, uh, Microsoft really liked all the clan support and stuff. But here's the thing. Microsoft want that kind of thing to be integrated into the dashboard. They want that kind of thing to be a part of Xbox Live. You know, that's, mm. that's how they roll. They want it to be a part of their dash. But they can't, because they had to support old Xbox games. You can't start, so put in this service on there, which will then, when Xbox Live loads up in a, on the previous Xbox game, the game goes mental and says, I don't understand what's going on. This isn't... Because bear in mind, clan support in those previous games were in-game things. It was functioning within the boundaries of the game. Microsoft want clan support to function across all games, you know, so you form your clan the same way, almost the same way you form a party, but it's an ongoing thing. Now they've turned off the old Xbox Live servers. I would be very, very surprised if we didn't see an announcement about an extended friends list and clan support within the next year. Yeah. Very surprised. Mm -hmm. E3, maybe. It seems to be the obvious motivation for them turning off the original Xbox support Absolutely. to fix these things that people are wanting from 360. But the previous Xbox, you know, compatibility is... Loads of great features they can put in, man. Loads of great features they could, like... I mean, one of the things I really want is to be able to almost advertise myself like a cheap hooker and put, like... When I'm, so when I'm sitting there playing Alan Wake or something... I wanted to put next to my name that I often play Battlefield. And if you invite me, I will turn this game off and come mm. play with you, you know? There's a lot of times you see someone you mate playing a game, you're like, oh, does he even have Battlefield? I can't yeah. remember. If you've got a particularly packed friends list, you can't remember what they, what they, they do. But it'd be nice if you could put on your profile Just an icon. Mm. Like, send me a message for or this, this, this. If you could or... sort your friends into groups, this would be fine as well. You'd, support your, you'd sort your friends into like your Battlefield clan. Mm. Even if it's not a clan, you just put into a group this... 
you know, these are the guys I regularly play Battlefield with. Mm. And then when you turn Battlefield on, you see a bunch of them on, they're all playing different games. You hit one button at the top of that list and it invites all the people in that clan. Imagine if you had the ability to, so it says uh, when you're playing a game, it says so-and-so, uh, like me, Paloki, has come on live when you're, when you're playing. Imagine if you had the ability to spy on people when they went on Battlefield or whatever. If you were playing a game regularly with someone else, if it told you, oh, so-and-so, he's not only online, but he's just turned on Battlefield or whatever game you want to play, then that would be incentive for you to yeah. then switch. And, well, and Halo and Reach is something really cool as well, which is, and again, it only works within Halo Reach, which is a feature I'd love to see them integrate into the whole, whole Xbox system. And again, I think I'd have to probably wait until there's another shift, a massive leap forward in the dashboard, because it's a quite, a, quite an involved feature and a really clever one. It's not certainly not something which older games could just magically support. But what they do is they allow you to queue up to get into a game. So say it's a four-player a four game, and it's already got four people in. Well, if you can invite a fifth friend in, and he says, oh, yeah, I'll accept that, and sit there playing Reach, just carry on playing Reach, and then the minute one person drops out, it'll instantly rip him out of his game and bring him into the group. That's a great feature. That is good. That's a really good feature. Imagine that. You could be sitting there playing Alan Wake or something, want to get into a friend of yeah. eight-man team of Battlefield with your buddies, but you can't. It's rammed out. But one man drops out, and the game instantly says, do you, if you still want to join... That would be so good if that was incorporated is, across the dash, is, you know. That is a very, very good idea. Uh, final question is from Dan Coombs, who, uh, who has been reading our magazine, apparently, for his case study in media studies. Oh, he doesn't want to do that. Have you got a, a different suggestion? Bit of heat? Nah. Xbox World. Yeah, all right. <laughs> he wants to know... Um, he, he's just bought the Halo Encyclopedia, and he, he thinks the Haloverse is one of the best... Um, <coughs> Realize gaming worlds. He doesn't say, but it seems to be of all time. Uh, what other gaming worlds do we think are some of the most impressive and fully realized? Half Life. Mm. Half Life did a hell of a job with Half Life. Just yeah. with, within the game fiction as well. It's not like there's loads of Half Life novels out there, but within the game fiction, everything's so believable, so credible. You they then they do this with Left 4 Dead as well. You walk around the environment and you look at. We talk about how it tells stories with the world as well many times in the past, so I'm not going to go into that, but you'll look at like a board in the game which has got like loads of press cuttings and stuff, and you can actually piece together events of the last 20 years from like the cuttings on a wall on sort of some guy's office. That kind of thing really, really adds like credibility to all of us. So Half-Life does a great job. Any others? I really, uh, is a bit of a left-field one. In terms of fully realised worlds, I really think the Mist universe is effective. I love the idea. It's kind of like the Stephen King Dark Tower thing of every book being its own world and there are portals between them all. Mist was doing that back in the 90s. And you've got an actual book that ties into it. It's not just some stupid spin-off book that's written by some no-hoper just graduated from college. It's a, a proper novel in inverted commas for... Uh, well, I'm searching for a better term. And uh, just, yeah, the, the, the world's in Mist and the book's in Mist that then linked to different worlds are just mind-blowing. The only thing the beauty of Halo is that you don't actually have to read the novels. You really don't. In Halo, and to be honest, I, I wouldn't, but uh, I'm not going to you know, cast aspersions. It's, um, you don't, but you don't have to, to appreciate what's going on in the story. It, 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 the story works just fine. Gears of War, on the other hand, you haven't got a clue what's going on. Gears, Gears of War, did you, did you know that Marcus Phoenix and Anya used to be a thing? No. No, no. No, no clue. No clue whatsoever. So when they meet one another for the first time, my eyes are just like, no, that's cool, it's no problem. Because... You don't know. You don't, it's no. not an issue for you. And there's lots of little events like this. Like now, we go into Gears of War 3, for instance, and there's... Um, so in the meantime, they've um, set up camp on an island, a whole new island. I mean, all this story's just been told in the book. So the game's going to begin. It's going it's to be like, oh, yeah, we're on an island, and now the Lambert are coming up. I don't like that you have to get every single but piece. But you don't. I mean, you really don't to enjoy the sheer shooter in action of, uh, of Gears of War. But if you really want to invest yourself in the story, I mean, it would be so nice if we could just pick up the game and feel like you haven't missed anything. Mm. And that's the, that's the trick, I think. You don't want to feel like you've missed anything. I mean, you can add to it. You can add extra richness to the story with media outside the media. I mean, it's like, I mean, people have been doing this for years. Look at the Animatrix, the Matrix movies, and they did an animated movie, The Chronicles of Riddick, you know? You don't have to watch it, but it added to it added a little bit to it. It added a little bit of extra fun to you, for you. Got They're animated doing Halo now, of course. Yeah, but... Extra so, yeah, fun. Yeah. <laughs> no, again, not going to cast aspirations. I don't know. Uh, Halo Versus is definitely a pretty decent sci-fi universe. But it's massively derivative. Massively. Borrows hugely from, God, loads of... It's from loads of different sources, most notably James Cameron's Aliens, obviously, but also from 
God, who, who wrote Ringworld? Larry Niven. Larry Niven's Ringworld and uh, Boris from all over the place. But um, Mass Effect's quite derivative too, but Mass Effect's got mm. a brilliant universe, I think. A really, really solid sci-fi world, which really came into its own with the sequel. That's a good one. Any more? I can't think of any. I was just lit, sitting there trying to think of any, and I can't. One of the interesting things I thought you, you touched on there was how much you know, people who come in later on in the series should be expected to play catch-up. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, changing pace slightly, I uh, I took a book on holiday uh, to, to read, and uh, it was a book by one of my favourite authors who uh, it was, it was about, I don't know, seven or eight books into the series now. And it relied it relies so heavily on like people having read the rest of the books. It, it referenced think events in previous books and characters in previous books and brought back other characters in previous books. And I thought, how do people who've ne- who've picked this up for the first time ever hope to understand what's going on here? I think it's very important now, especially when the games industry is just so obsessed with sequels i mean you're playing games which is so self-referential back to the the previous versions perhaps on different consoles you know you're talking about something from last generation um you know with halo if it references back the first game i don't think halo is too bad halo is a game that i think you can you can kind of jump into into any game each of the three stands pretty pretty strongly on its own each one tells a story in i think i think you know even with halo 2's awful ending i think mass effect 2 is 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 a tougher game to pick up from scratch and and learn you know just get into it from the start but if you play something like i don't know the phoenix Wright games or something which is on uh, the Edgeworth game that's just come out was the fifth one in the series. It relies so heavily on on all the others that you literally don't know what you're doing. Yeah. You don't know who these people are, who they're cropping up. Now, as a fan, as someone who has played through all, all the games, that's brilliant for me. But I don't know how like people are supposed to step into a series without playing the first ones. And and if you're thinking now, like these these original games aren't available for a lot of people mm. you know you have to really search quite hard you usually have to go online and, and buy them from a couple of specialist shops um I, I think what a lot of i mean when, when before mass effect 2 came out i i asked bioware this question and they said oh no we've done a good enough job we don't need to tell people what happened in the first game i disagree i think a are lot of times pre- are you going to do a previously some on ca- yeah almost game. like um like alan Wake does yeah. uh, th- we can say that by the way because we've said that in a previous preview but it has episodes and you have a previously on Alan Wake. Same as Alone in the Dark, he did a previously on and summed up the previous chapter. Um, do the old Shenmue 2 trick. Can't bundle it with the oh DVD starring the, the, the first first game's cutscenes. You know? I, I think it is it is tricky, sort of getting the balance right between, between, you know, allowing... There shouldn't be any barrier to entry, I don't think. But having said that, you know, massive life-changing events that have occurred in the first or the second or the third um, game or book or film, whatever it is, should be referenced in the next they one. They have you to know? carry meaning. Yeah, absolutely. No and I, I think it. it is difficult balancing it, you know. But um, but I thought it was interesting, you know. I thought it was, you know, Mike sort of touched on it and it made me think about it. And I think, you know, you talked about Gears having huge gaps between games and assuming that you've read the book to get, which I'd personally don't agree with i think halo is you know does a, like you say does a yeah, pretty does good a pretty job decent job i mean it's it's, it's it's all pretty basic anyway i mean but in, in all, all of the most just like i think i said it in uh a thing we wrote this month is that most shooters have the most flimsy of justifications mm. for mass murder essentially it's a game where you're gonna you're gonna kill two thousand things and here's the reason why and that's pretty much all you need to know when they do aspire to slightly loftier ambitions you, you can't let that get lost if it gets lost then the gamer's going to get lost. The only funny thing is, Half-Life, of course, dumps you into Half-Life 2. And the beauty of Half-Life 2 is that people who played the first game are as lost as people who mm. just jumped into the second mm. game. They're as lost. They don't know where they are. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know how they got to be here. The only advantage they've got over people who have only played Half-Life 2 is that they know about the G-Man and they know about... that At the end of Half-Life 1, Gordon Freeman was, was, was whisked away. And he was, you know... and. But we learn, of course, in in Half Life Two that he's essentially kept on ice for twenty years while the world was going to hell and in, invaded by this massively powerful alien race. But otherwise, everyone goes into that as blind as one another. Mm. That's a great way to begin anything. Yeah, it's, you know? yeah, it's, uh, yeah. It's, uh, and when you reveal what happened as the story goes on. Mm. So that's that. Thanks very much for listening to us. Thanks for your questions. Do keep them coming in. We'd love to answer them. Uh, keep up to date with uh, the daily shenanigans on the mag on uh, Mike's Twitter page or on our Facebook page. 
and uh, and we'll we'll speak to you next time. Bye bye. bye.